Hey, everybody, this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast, part of the Demcast Podcast Network. I'm your host, Stephan Cox. On today's show, a replay of our first live Q&A, all about how to deal with anxiety in the age of coronavirus. Jennifer Young is a therapist who specializes in trauma, who is also a leader with Indivisible Action Tampa Bay. And she answers your questions about the anxiety, depression, and anger a lot of us are feeling in this uncertain time. And she has advice about how to stay politically active while you're stuck at home. That is all ahead, so stay with us. So it goes without saying that this is an unprecedented time. I know pretty much everyone listening is probably either on order to remain at home. That is certainly the case for us here in Washington, or you are choosing to do so because you recognize the stakes. Whatever the case, we all know that we are in a pandemic. And for obvious reasons, this is bringing up a ton of anxiety and anger and people are feeling depressed and people are struggling at times with how to process and cope with everything that is happening. I I know I certainly am. And so on Wednesday, we hosted a live Q&A with our good friend, Jennifer Young. She is a counselor who specializes in treating trauma and PTSD, and she is also a leader with Indivisible Action Tampa Bay. So I began by asking her for her advice generally for people who are just feeling anxious and out of control right now. I think one of the best things you can do just in general to manage anxiety, but certainly when we're going experiencing something new, is to focus on staying present in the moment. Um, and again, under these circumstances, it's really hard to do because mm-hmm. we're seeing a lot about, oh, what could happen next week and how bad it'll be in a month, but to focus your thinking and your body on just being present in the moment. Um, th- th- there's a thing we talk about called grounding, um, which s- simply put is, um, keeping your mind in this moment and the techniques we use are just kind of using your five senses, um, focusing on things you see, colors you see, focus on something you can touch, a texture, Um, eating an apple really slowly uh, and tasting each bite, Um, focusing on sounds and things you hear. Using your five senses helps you be grounded to the present moment. So, you know, doing that several times a day uh, can sometimes just kind of keep that anxiety in check along the way. Um, You know, before you get out of bed in the morning and as your head hits the pillow at night, just kind of grounding yourself with your senses is something I think is just foundational. We should all be doing that anyway. (laughs) I was going to say, yeah. (laughs) But certainly during this time, you know, throughout the day, um, all of us I know are, are tempted and most of us are actually turning on the news to see what's going on. And so the minute you turn off the news and I recommend you do turn off the news, (laughs) um, do a little grounding, you know, get yourself back centered into your space, um, and, and find some specific things using your senses that can help you do that. Yeah. You know, I've sort of taken this as an opportunity to get back in touch with my meditation practice and get mindful. And, you know, you talk about your five senses and I, I wonder if there is value in actually when you feel things like anxiety or depression or anger or whatever, just sort of sensing where they sit on you physically. Yeah, of course. Yes, that's so good. Again, sometimes what um, we can do with that, if you, the more body awareness that you have when you suffer with anxiety or when you're having anxious moments, the better you will do at decreasing your anxiety. So yeah, paying attention to where you're feeling it. Um, if you do some good breath work in through your nose, out through your mouth in a nice paced fashion, and just kind of send that energy to the area of your body where you're feeling that anxiety, 
and focus on kind of relaxing that place um, can really kind of, again, just decrease that tenseness in your body that contributes to you staying anxious. Um, and it is work like this kind of stuff. It yeah, is. <laughs> it is. It's not easy. It's you have to be intentional. A lot of people say to me, I do breathe. I do breathe. When I hear someone say, I do breathe. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, we all breathe. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm talking about intentional, um, measured breath where you are focused on, on your breath and your body. And, and it's that kind of shift that really quiets down um, your amygdala, the part of your brain that is sensing for danger. And if you don't do that, you're never going to teach your amygdala to be quiet when it needs to be quiet. It's going to stay activated because it's a really powerful part of your brain. And when it gets activated, it, it shuts everybody else out. Um, yeah. so if you don't get, you know, uh, intentional with that work, your amygdala will take over. Yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of us are really just going, oh, please make it stop. And, you know, yeah. sort of projecting into some future state about, well, you know, when we get to this place, then things are going to be better or whatever. And so when we get mindful, those are the sorts of things that we're really trying to kind of quiet down a little bit. Yeah. Yes. And so what happens is the amygdala is the part of the brain that senses danger. And if you leave that unchecked, our mind steps in and starts creating these loops of what's going to happen next. How am I going to handle that? Right? right. So the idea of being mindful is you quiet the amygdala before your mind gets a chance to run away into all these more human questions or more daily questions we have. So that's why you know, the minute you sense anxiety in your body or you have, you know, you have a known trigger that you choose or end up having to be exposed to like the news, you mm -hmm. know, if you know, you got to watch the news, you know, you're going to get triggered by it. It's okay to watch the news, but have a good practice of centering and calming your amygdala as soon as it's over so that you can get control of it. If you don't, then your amygdala is going to uh, launch into um, other parts of your mind being out of control with thinking. So being in tune with your body and understanding what triggers you is kind of the key here and getting out ahead of it. You know, some of this stuff, when I talk to folks about breathing and mindfulness and grounding, um, and they deal with panic attacks. And unfortunately, sometimes when you get to the point of a panic attack where you can't move or there's pressure in your chest, yeah. it's a little too late for some of the more simpler things. So I can attest stay. to that. Yeah. yeah when you, right? when you like, do get revved up to that point, your rational yeah. mind uh, is, is nowhere to be found. Yeah. And your body is, is doing its a thing of its own. Um, and in that case, I recommend just sitting, uh, laying down in bed, curling up like a burrito and um, trying to rest and calm your body. But some of this other stuff, the grounding and, and the mindfulness and the breathing, that's stuff we want to do to prevent that from happening. So yeah. you want to be in tune with your body and know what triggers you so that you can use some of those techniques that will prevent it from getting worse. Do you have any blanket recommendation for people about how much news to consume or not consume? Or is that, <laughs> is that just a personal choice? I think it is subjective because honestly, all of us can handle and cope with um, different things in different ways. So I am kind of uh, a news watcher. Uh, thankfully, my husband's not listening because I really do listen to a lot of news. Mm. But um, some of us can handle more of it. And, and it's very subjective and it's okay. And 
Uh, there's no judgment there. I think it's more about being aware. I recognize when my mind starts swimming, when my shoulders start to feel a little tense. That, oh, okay, that's a or, great, that, yeah, yeah, that's such a serious yeah. sign for me. When my shoulders start to go yeah. up to my ears, I'm like, okay, I'm, yes. I'm, I really got to dial it back here. Exactly. And I also notice like I'm not actually listening anymore. My mind is wandering and I tend to feel like anger yeah. because I'm starting to like take what I just heard and extrapolate it into all the other ways in which it's causing a problem. That's when I know, okay, I've probably, I'm not focused here. I'm not listening for facts or information. I'm now starting to feel it in negative ways. Time to turn it off. Okay. So I, yeah. <laughs> you, so I think it's knowing what you can cope and handle with. You jumped right into my next uh, topic of conversation, which was anger. Um, yeah. And oh my God, a lot of people, my, yeah. myself included, are feeling so so angry about what is happening, yeah. uh, particularly yeah. the lack of response from the federal government. And yeah. I could get off on a rant that I'm not going to, but yeah, just generally, course. how do you recommend dealing with anger and particularly when it's anger over something that you just don't have any control over? Yeah. So the first thing I always like to do when I talk about like trauma and anger is just validate that your anger is okay yeah. and it's perfectly acceptable. And if you need to be angry or stay angry for a little while, um, I really don't think it's a problem. It's what happens to you or what you do as a result of the anger that tends to get us in trouble. So I have functioned through this entire resistance movement with a certain level of anger that I didn't have before. I think and we all have. I, yeah. yeah, exactly. And and I think that is what um, I needed to do to keep myself moving forward is I have to stay angry and uncomfortable. Um, that's what I know I have to do. So I think, you know, accepting that it's okay to feel angry. It is as bad as it feels uh, is really important because again, we're taught a lot of times, you know, oh, don't feel anger or anger's bad for you. Well, there is no real bad emotion. Um, it's just what we do with it that can be Let me ask about the balance between that, because, of course, we're going to feel anger and you don't want to stuff anger down because then that can lead to other things like, uh, you know, cancer and awful stuff down the road. But then by the same token, you don't want to overindulge in anger because that has its own sort of mental health risks. Uh, And so where do do you strike that balance? Uh, Let's just ask you personally, where do you strike the balance? Yeah, I think you have to take a look at your eating and sleeping patterns because that tends to be a clue as to how we're doing mentally. Mm -hmm. So are you sleeping at night? No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) So I think those things can kind of be a clue to you if you're holding on to a negative emotion to a degree that it's harmful to you. I also think about other behaviors, patterns of behavior that you may or may not use um, to help you cope. If you're eating too much, if you're drinking too much, are you doing the things that are outside of your character um, too much or in ways that are harming you. If, if you are not, and if you're eating and you're sleeping and your relationships are good and you're angry, I say be angry, you know? Um, but if you're noticing that your lifestyle is, you, you know, you're functioning in a way that isn't healthy for you, you've been told you're functioning in a way that's not healthy for you. Um, um, then you probably need to get those emotions put in check by you and a trusted therapist or loved one. Um, and manage the behaviors like, you know, what are you doing instead of coping with your anger? I do think another kind of little in, way I think about emotions is, you know, I, I ask people because it's very subjective emotion. So I ask people to think about their emotion on a scale of one to 10. 
and keep an eye on keeping those emotions around, you know, five being high, 10 being like, okay, it's out of control. But, sure. you know, if, if you stay angry at a four or five, you're probably functioning okay. Yeah. Um, so just check in with yourself. Again, you watch the news. If you start to notice your anger is up at a five or a six, time to turn off the news and do some breathing or do some, I just learned, I learned to knit recently. So that's my new thing. So <laughs> I will knit a little bit, you know, and kind of bring that anger back down. Okay. Now my anger is at a two or a three. So kind of giving yourself that subjective understanding of your own emotions that, that applies for every emotion, for your anxiety, for your anger, for your grief, like giving it a rating for yourself. Like, how am I doing? I do have clients often write that out. We work on like a scale so that we can tell what your anger looks like when it's a one or a two. And what does your anger look like when it's a nine or a 10? And we look at how your body reacts to it, what your thinking does, what your behaviors are, uh, things like that, that help us understand, you know, what degree your emotions are at to, to make a decision about acting differently. Yeah. And, you know, something else you said on a previous show was to write down what you know which can yeah. help to mitigate some of the anger and anxiety. But there's, yep. I, I feel like there's still little that we know for sure right now. Do you yeah. still find that to be a useful exercise? I just did it today with a client. Okay. Um, yeah, I do. And uh, the client is in the, she's a nurse, frankly, and uh, very upset about the lack of PPEs and, you know, clients coming in and not having a, um, an area, an isolation area for clients to come in and, you know, and so we did that. What do you know for sure? And we went through, what do you know for sure? We talked about her home life, you know, and uh, some things that were more personal to her because that grounds you, yeah. you know, what I know for sure is my partner loves me, you know, those kinds of things. But then we kind of moved it into the office space. What do I know for sure? Well, what I know for sure is I created an isolation area for patients today. So I know there is now a space for them. You know, um, what I know today is I went and counted the N95 masks we have on hand. So I know how many masks we have. You know, these are the things that she can she can control right. um, and, and put her hands on. And just, you know, again, the, the counter to anxiety is known, you know? So anxiety are the things we can't control or don't know. So when you're feeling out of control because of anxiety, the opposite response, natural opposite response is, what can I control? What do I know? Um, even, even so much as, you know, one of the things we said today with her was, I know for sure that COVID-19 is going to be around for a while and it's going to get worse. So even be honest about the things that you know that yeah. might be upsetting. Yes. Just saying that there's a thing we all have heard the word validation. Right. And sometimes we have all these thoughts swimming around in our head and to say it out loud or put it on a piece of paper that I know for sure COVID-19 is going to be around a while and it's going to get worse. Like just that process of hearing it, seeing it on paper, it's like, okay, you know, your brain is looking to sort this stuff out and put it in filing folders, you know, so it can be like, okay, this is a bad thing that goes in the bad thing folder. Right. Um, that's really all, uh, most of the time, that's what our brain really needs is to be validated, to have a folder to put things in. So you are a trauma specialist, as I mentioned in the intro, and I think a lot of people feel like we have been traumatized as a nation for a long time now, since, mm -hmm. since you know, the election in 2016. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if you can just talk a little bit about what the long-term effects are 
of exposure to trauma? Because it's like, I mean, right now things are super intense, but it's been at this low level for a lot of us for so long. And that can't be good for us, right? No, it's definitely not good for us, Um, which is why I'm going to back up the train a little and just say this is why we have to manage our anxiety on a daily basis. That's the only way to get through this because we are not going to be without exposure to trauma, in my opinion, every day. If you're paying attention, you're likely having some degree of uh, trauma exposure every day. Um, so every day we have to do some mitigation of that breathing, mindfulness, all of that stuff. The long-term effect, it unfortunately becomes complex post-traumatic stress disorder for most folks. And, and all that, what does that look like? Yeah. So all it means is all the PTSD symptoms and some possible physical medical symptoms. Hmm. So you're, you're talking about things like avoidance and hypervigilance and negative thoughts and a sense of hopelessness added with likely some stomach issues, some bowel issues, some um, possible uh, stress-related like thinking issues, confusion, uh, loss of focus and concentration, those kinds of things. This is ringing a lot of bells. I'm just going to tell you right now. And I think it probably is for listeners as well. Yeah. 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 And again, you know, the... I wish I had better news and, you know, not everybody is going to be, you know, suffering with these kinds of symptoms. The, the problem and even is if they do, it's not going to be constant. It won't be constant and it's highly treatable. Um, but it is cumulative. The other thing I was going to add, unfortunately, is it's also cumulative. So mm. if you have this is what's happening now with this pandemic for people is, you know, you may have had stress as a child, trauma as a child, stress as a child, and then maybe some things going on in your adult life now, and then you add this to it. Like, it is just another layer, which makes it that much more worse. Yeah. So unfortunately, is cumulative in that way. It, it is treatable. The, you know, not to simplify this, but if we go back to that amygdala, the more you do the strategies to cool off that survival center of your brain, the better chance you will have of decreasing your the long-term effects um, and decreasing your activation in the moment. So it, you know, I am really neuroscience focused, although I'm not a neuropsychologist, I don't know that much, but I believe the brain is the key here. So keeping that amygdala cooled off as much as we can every day to me is really the key. And that goes back to, to the body. mindfulness, right? It does. It really, really does. Yeah. Uh, you know, paying attention to your body and what your body's telling you, paying attention to how you react to things, all of that is important. It is It is hard work. And I'm just going to put it out there um, as somebody who has uh, attempted to meditate off and on for like the last 30 years. Uh, I know yeah. that it's, it, it, it's really not easy. And in fact, uh, I'm always... Uh, sort of heartened by listening to, you know, meditation teachers who have been doing it for their whole lives. People like Pema Chodron have said, yeah, it's pain in the ass. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, good. So I'm not the only one. Um, I want to get into some listener questions. And if people are just joining us right now, first of all, welcome. Uh, We are on with Jennifer Young. She's a trauma trauma, uh, therapist, and she's also a leader with Indivisible Action Tampa Bay. Uh, We welcome your questions. And let's just get into... Uh, maybe some of the questions about stir craziness that people are already <laughs> starting to feel. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, any tips on how to live in p- close proximity to, you know, loved ones? Uh, and <laughs> and are there tips on how to give each other space when you're sheltering together all the time? Because this is a new situation for a lot of people and couples in particular. 
Yeah. So I like to start off by just, again, validating that you uh, want space from your loved one. Um, I think, you know, our daily lives prior to this, we were used to being apart from each other. And that was good for us as human beings. As much as we loved coming home, the time we were apart from our children or our loved ones was good for us as a human being. So to validate the uh, challenge of being with your loved one and your kids for 24 hours a day, that is hard. So to decrease the guilt you might feel about wanting to run away into the bedroom and lock the door, (laughs) um, that that is normal and okay. Again, you know, humans definitely are society. We function in groups and communities, but as human beings, um, we function well alone too and are in our healthiest state. So validating that, you know, yes, you absolutely um, should be getting some time alone. I think one of the best things that I would recommend for folks, especially if there are children in the home, but even if there aren't children, even if it's just you at home, is creating a schedule for yourself. Um, Some people really dislike schedules a lot, and I get it, but some sort of routine that is predictable that you can count on um, that will kind of reset you in case you do have a crappy day and don't get out of bed all day, you know, that's okay too. Um, but just kind of creating a schedule. So everybody knows this is what we're doing. This is when we're doing it. This is when we're going to have time apart. We're all going to be in our rooms away from each other. And this is when we're going to be together. Um, I think scheduling, uh, can really, really be helpful. And I I just want to say too, I think the other thing is, um, just not be afraid to laugh and be silly and ridiculous. I think that's it's very hard right now because there are some pretty terrible things. And I know many people around the country have been hit, um, you know, have lost loved ones. And, um, I think, you know, if we haven't lost a loved one or had someone who's sick, you know, it's hard to kind of think about laughing during this time. Um, but it, it, it is the right thing to do, um, depending on your situation. So to kind of not be afraid to, to do something and have a good time with your family, I think is also important. Yeah. And I would also, and I'm a big fan of gallows humor. I don't know where you weigh in on that, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 you have to have a little bit of that in my (laughs) field and you know, yeah, it's kind of, uh, it's okay. Yes. (laughs) It's all good. So, you know, you mentioned having some sort of a structure, and I I, I do wonder, how do you deal with the days starting to kind of feel the same and run into each other? I mean, you you make a structure, but you also want to kind of make a balance from, you know, where you want to keep it from getting routine and possibly depressing. So where where do you land on that? I think you have to find a way to put something out in the future that um, will kind of reset your week. So, you know, maybe you go through the week and you kind of have your normal schedule, but on Saturday you all plan, you know, to do something different and special that is unique. Mm. Um, Now, in our area, we can still go to the parks. Um, So it might be for someone who still has access to outside areas that that's the day you decide we're going to go outside. And we can do that here too as well. Yeah, People are allowed if they, you know, do the social distancing thing, you're still allowed to go out to to parks and stuff. Yeah, good. Okay. So to me, you know, yes, having your daily schedule, your routine, whatever, but planning something in the future that you can look forward to that will kind of keep, you know, uh, kind of give you that reset is what I would suggest. Um, I think it's inevitable that the days will feel like they're going to run together. Um, But if you mix up that schedule a little bit and the plans that you have, um, you might be able to um, counter that a little bit. So, 
You know that there's a split going on right now between people who believe in the reality of the situation with the coronavirus and the spread, and then there are those who think that this is a hoax. Um, mm-hmm. You were probably closer to that than you wanted to be uh, recently when all those uh, students were down, you know, partying on the beaches uh, in Florida for spring break. Yeah. Um, do you? This is a tricky question because. On, you know, on one hand, I would be like, absolutely do not engage with those people, you know, who people who are online saying this is a hoax, this is BS, it's no worse than the common cold. But then I also feel like we have an obligation to try to spread truth where we can, if only for people who might be observing and, and, and reading some of these threads. What, what do you think? What, what do you land on that? Yeah, so I, um, I think it's challenging from a mental health perspective for our mental health to engage too much where there isn't an open door. Um, so I, you know, if it comes to social media or in conversation, I may lay down some facts here or there, but I try really hard not to engage and go back and forth unless um, the door has been opened, if you will. Um, because when you say door has health, been opened, you mean there, there's like a, a spark of like the person might the, be willing to budge on how they feel. Yeah. Or, okay. or they're like really looking to have a discussion. Gotcha. You okay. know, like that's the kind of open door. Uh, the other open door is is known people to you whose doors are open. And we know there are people in our lives whose doors are closed. Yeah. Like if you know the doors are closed to certain people in your life, don't try and open them because it's not good for your mental health. Right. Um, and, and obviously those folks are closed. Well, um, and you've so, said when we've talked in the past, you're like, it's perfectly OK to unfriend those people. <laughs> oh, that was on my list for tonight. <laughs> yes, that was part of my like, I, again, during this time, I'm a big fan of engaging with people that are loving and supportive and kind and, and understanding and compassionate and to decrease exposure to people that are unkind and uncompassionate yeah. and and, un, you know, not understanding. And so it's th- that same thing with, you know, our obligation to lay down facts and truths. I believe in that. Um, but I try and do it in my own space, in my way. I jokingly, I mean, I do kind of practice this strategy. Anyone that knows me knows I'm big on Facebook. And, you know, if you come to my wall, um, you're going to get a discussion. And so if you want to come chat, come on over. I don't, I try really hard. All this, I'm not perfect, but I try really hard not to go into someone else's space um, and, and engage right. um, because I don't know if their door is open and I, it's not good for my mental health. Um, you know, there's a, a concept called cognitive dissonance where we are trying to hold two opposite thoughts that we can't make sense of that causes this upset. And, um, and that is a really unhealthy state of being. And when I'm engaging with someone else, they're throwing information at me that I know makes no sense. And it launches me into cognitive distance. It starts to make me question who I am as a person. If I'm not careful, you know, it'll, it'll go that deep. And that's just not an unhealthy place to be. That is not the same as having a discussion with another open person clearly changing minds and learning new things requires me to move through a state of cognitive dissonance, right? But when you're dealing with someone who is not open and they're just poking, poking, poking to cause harm, that's a whole different thing, you know? 
So you you um, got a lot of people out there who just want to own the libs and, you know, those are the people that you want to avoid. But I mean, it's, it's, it's so difficult and it's a tough call because, you know, those are the people who are ultimately going to spread this thing. I mean, people like us are practicing, you know, we're, we're sheltering at home. We're doing all the things that we're supposed to be doing because we're taking this thing very seriously. And, you know, we look with great consternation at the, you know, the, the rate of increase, uh, you know, rate of infection and see how at this point we're actually on a track that is worse than Italy's, um, you, you you do want to go and, you know, if it's possible, I guess, engage with people. But it's such a frustrating experience when you know that, you know, a lot of times people are really just going to be closed down to it and there's nothing you can yeah, do. Yeah, and listen, no, there's nothing. And listen, the reality is we only have control over our circle. Right. As much as I want to have this big, grand impact in the world, I only have control of my 10 little people in my circle. Yeah. And so if I can keep my circle clean and pure and, you know, and focused, then I'm doing a good job. And and really, in when we're dealing with big issues like this, to me, sometimes that's has to be the focus for our mental health. You know, is that I'm just going to focus right here. And if I have a ripple effect because I worked with this one person who I know is open to hearing things and maybe had a change in their behavior because we had a discussion about something, it might trickle down to another person in their circle. I cannot get caught up in controlling people who are not in my circle. I can, I can have, try and have an effect. You know what I mean? I can put some facts out there, but when it comes to what I know for sure, what I know for sure is I only have a small impact. And I have to be mindful of that for my mental health. That's not really a good activist mentality, by the way, right? Like as activists, yes, we have our circle, but the idea is we get as many people in our circle and we link up with other circles because we want to have a bigger impact. But for our mental wellness, when, when problems are so much bigger than us and outside of our control, just focus on what you can do in your circle. Well, and so in that vein, do you have any advice specifically for activists? You are one, you are talking to them right now Mm -hmm. on this, this broadcast. Um, I think a lot of people, part of the reason why we're feeling you know, so frustrated and anxious and stir crazy is because we know that the most consequential election of our lifetimes is upon us and we're stuck at home. You yeah, know, it's, it's yeah, really a, yeah. it's, it's a hard thing to, 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 to wrap your head around. What what would what yeah. advice would you give there? So one of the things that I think is most important is staying connected. And thanks, good, thank goodness for technology, we can do that. Yeah. Um, again, some of the, my local Indivisible friends here, we got online last night on a Zoom meeting and just had a nice little chat. It wasn't even a meeting, frankly. We just got together and chit-chatted. So staying connected, using Zoom to stay connected. Um, it's harder with larger groups. If you have a lot of people, break up into small groups and say, hey, you know, let's get 10 of us together and just plot and plan, as we like to say here, and uh, chit-chat and, and even make some plans for what you're going to do in May and June and July and August. Oh, that's a good um, idea. Yeah, because you know, we will be able to get out at some point. So Yes, exactly. So, you know, you can kind of get ahead of things. I think that's really important. I think there are some things we can do for candidates. I know locally we have candidates that need to get on the ballot still that we can go online and help them get petitions taken care of. We can make phone calls for them. As you know, Indivisible has their um, project payback, payback project. Yeah, if you want to text um, bank. With texting. 
Yeah, so there are some things that we can do from home that are still beneficial. Um, I think um, because being in Florida that our governor wasn't going to most likely do a stay-at-home order, we were talking about staying focused on our local government, pushing them to do things locally, um, being mindful of what's happening. I know another thing we're staying focused on is legislation that will be coming, getting organized and understanding what legislation is happening locally, really getting a grasp of it to organize around pushing for the issues. So I think there, because of technology, there is a lot we can do to stay connected and still focus on some of these issues and just be ready because uh, the minute the minute it's okay to go outside, we're all going to be in the street, I'm sure. Yep. So I think just be ready. And I said this last time when I was on the show, like, you know, I don't, I don't want this to be happening to us, but it is time to just take time for yourself, rest, relax, because we are going to have a big push um, leading up to November. That is going to be exhausting. It, um, it is true. I mean, we're sort of being yeah. forced to rest at this point, whether yeah. we like yeah. it or not, you know. Exactly. Exactly. So let's just do that. That gets into yeah. a listener question who says, uh, uh, I feel like I should have all this time on my hands, but I don't feel like I'm getting anything done. It's like I'm in molasses. Is it normal to feel this sort of malaise when we have this constant stress? Yes, I think it's the stress and the change in routine. Um, I saw a meme about this too. I wish I could remember what witty thing it said, but it was something related to, I plan to get so much done and three days later I've done nothing. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think our brain and our bodies just kind of getting used to this routine that is a non-routine, frankly. That's why I think forcing yourself with a schedule um, or some sort of plan where, you know, even if you don't like that, kind of force yourself a little bit to put a routine together for yourself, I think will help. Um, when we're feeling down or, or a little depressed or have a little, um, the fancy word, I really like this word a lot, anhedonia. Um, mm, that's Greek, uh, isn't, isn't it? That a pretty word? I don't know, but I just love the way it sounds. <laughs> but it, it's a loss of pleasure uh, from things you used to enjoy doing. Right. And so, you know, that is kind of sometimes you just want to sit on the couch when really you used to enjoy doing all these things. It, one of the strategies for that is to just push through. Um, and, and so kind of forcing yourself. So I think that scheduling is kind of important, uh, to set yourself up to kind of, to move through that. I also think, you know, lower your expectations, um, because yes, you would love to clean out that spare bedroom and get all that laundry done and remodel the, you know, whatever, but, um, you weren't going to do that anyway when you were working. So like, <laughs> it's, it's okay to lower the expectation that you might do that now. Um, but what if you just say, and I've, I've heard uh, people who, uh, like motivation experts say, you know, take something small off your to-do yeah. list, something that's been on there for a long, long time, nothing gargantuan, just something really small, like maybe there's, I, I don't know, just, just clean yeah. out your freezer or something, something Absolutely. really small, and then that, you can allow that to be a win for the day, right, if you just yes. get to that one little thing. Yes. To me, that's like lower your expectations that you're going to do this big grand thing and just find some smaller things, find some things that you can accomplish that you will accomplish. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, we're almost out of time and I will just uh, put it to listeners. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, pop them in now. Um, one here uh, asks, how do you deal with feeling gaslit by the administration when Trump is saying things that are not true? Yeah. So number one, if you are aware you're being gaslit, you're not being gaslit. So just to, again, validate that for yourself. 
um, the, our awareness that we're being manipulated prevents us from being manipulated. So to call that out when you're sitting in the living room and you're hearing him lie and you're hearing him say things that you know are not true, say that to yourself, maybe out loud, mm. um, but just, you know, to validate with your friends or, or, you know, go online and prove to yourself that, that it was in fact a lie. Um, so that, when you call manipulation out, you are then less affected by it. So um, that's the first coping strategy is bring that into your awareness that that is what that is and that is happening. Um, there isn't really a quote unquote management strategy for gaslighting um, because if it's happening to you, typically you're unaware of it. Um, and it's harmful to you. True. So the strategy is be aware that you're being gaslit and then you won't be impacted by it. Gaslighting creates cognitive dissonance. It makes you question, obviously, truth from reality. So when you're trying to hold that, like they tell you, that, you know, it comes from that movie in the 1940s. So when, you know, Ingrid Bergman experienced all the lights being off and she was told it was beautiful and daylit out when it was dark. You know, when you start to realize, wait a minute, it really is dark in here. You settle your brain and that's what gives you relief. So the minute you challenge, you know, a lie with the truth and you accept the truth, you've now decreased the psychological impact of that. So one last listener question before we let you go, and that is uh, how much time to allow yourself on social media, specifically on Facebook? Uh, I struggle with time allowance. And this sort of gets back to what we were talking about earlier about exposure to news, right? Yeah. 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 Again, it's really subjective. Um, but again, I think you have to pay attention to how you are feeling when you're engaging with uh, social media. Another thing that I kind of didn't talk about with the TV very specifically, but with social media, it tends to happen where we kind of go into this trance state and we're just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Because it's designed to get you to do that. Yeah. And we're not really engaging. Um, that's a clue that you should probably stop. Yeah. Um in that moment. So if you're engaging and you're having conversations and you're liking things and you're reading things and you're laughing and you're really kind of having a social moment and you stop and you feel like, oh, okay, that's good. Now I'm going to go do something else. Then that was probably a good social media experience. Right. But if you find yourself scrolling and scrolling and not paying attention and not focused and missing posts and, you know, uh, your em negative emotions are increasing to levels that are higher than you would want, then, then you probably need to stop. And that means you have to pay attention to how long can I tolerate Facebook? You know, <laughs> yeah. can I only tolerate 10 minutes? Then I should limit myself to 10 minutes. Um, it really is trying to do no harm to yourself, but that means you have to practice good self-awareness, grounding, breathing, that stuff. So you can really be in tune with what your brain and your body are telling you. Um, what are the mechanisms there psychologically that keep us going? You know, I, I know that, you know, Twitter and YouTube and Facebook have absolutely tapped into those algorithms uh, and they know how to, to get you to continue scrolling. And I will do this myself, particularly with Twitter. And I know that I shouldn't and I'm doing it and I'm getting mm -hmm. myself more and more spun up and I will look yep. up and a half an hour has gone by. And I'm like, what what's going on there that's getting me to do that, even though I know it's not good for me? Yeah. So what I don't know a lot about is the um, impact like of marketing and how the things that they're showing us uh, generate a response. But from a trauma perspective, um, unfortunately, some of our brains, especially if we suffer with anxiety or PTSD, 
our brains are wired to trance out. Mm. Um, it's a protective measure yeah. um, in general, but if we've had a lot of trauma or we're going through challenging or traumatic experiences, our brain's doing that to protect us. The problem is it's actually hurting us. And, and again, in a, in a real traumatic situation, when we trance out, that's good for us. But when we're on Twitter, our brain is just doing it because it's trying to protect us from something. And we need to not let our brain do that, which is why, you know, I said, if you're scrolling, scrolling, and you notice that you're trancing out, you're, you're exposing yourself too much because we don't want our brain to go into those trance, those hypnotic disassociative states, if you will, um, to an extent, again, and we just lose brain function when we do that. Um, so it's not healthy for us. So again, I think we're predisposed in the sense of how anxious of a person are you? How much history of trauma do you have is the thing, you know, when you go on to get onto Twitter or social media, are you instantly triggered because you've saw something and you aren't even aware you got triggered. You need to be aware of what triggers you. Um, and, and that should help you, but you, you definitely don't want that to be happening. So Stefan, come on now. Mm-hmm. Not so mm-hmm. much Twitter yeah, I, for I, you. I'm, yes. I'm literally yeah. hearing you talking to me personally yeah. and I'm like, yes, <laughs> yeah. she's right. Yeah. Oh my God, stop. Yeah. Um, yep. Yep. so, um, I will just ask you uh, any final words, uh, for people. Cause you know, we're in many ways kind of ending where we started, which is, this is just a crazy time with no defined end in sight. There aren't really any rules (laughs) per se. We don't really know where this is going. There's not a lot to hang on to. Um, any final words just generally on, on, you know, how we, how we cope with this time? Yeah. I actually want to, um, talk about one thing very much related to that question that I didn't mention that is important is, Um, during this time when we are all asked to be at home, some people are not safe at home and I just want to encourage and support folks that there is still help out there. If you need to call for help, um, people will still come and help you. Um, so to not, um, you know, not feel like just because we're all asked to be apart from each other, it doesn't mean the police won't come. It doesn't mean our friends and family won't come. So for folks that maybe don't feel particularly safe, please don't hesitate to reach out. I just in general would say, you know, keep, keep being brave and be strong. And I don't mean those in kind of like a, you know, general dismissive way, but, um, we have to keep going. Um, we can't stop. This situation is temporary, um, for as long as it may last, it will not last forever. Um, and so we've got to be brave and strong. We have to push through power through with our best selves. Um, and I also would encourage people to reach out to their professionals. If you, um, see a psychiatrist for medication, or if you have a therapist that maybe you saw three years ago, um, this is the time to maybe do a little check-in if you're feeling, um, particularly challenged or noticing that you're not doing as well. Um, reach out to those professionals and maybe go in for a checkup um, and to, uh, to ask for help when you need it. And, you know, it's the connection that we have with each other that will really help us the most being in touch with ourselves and connecting with other people. And I think that's really um, our responsibility at this point. Yeah. And, you know, we've said this before, but uh, Indivisible has really become like a large extended family. Um, 
we have had uh, during this time a lot of just random meetups with indivisible friends on yeah. Zoom and WebEx or whatever. And it really helps, you know. It helps yeah, to yeah. to re- you know to establish that sense of community, and you you just feel less alone. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Staying connected. Exactly. Well, Jennifer, yeah. I I just want to thank you so much as always for taking the time. Uh, you are just such a a wise soul, and you Aww. you really my my blood pressure is probably about twenty points lower since we. Uh, since oh, we started talking. That's good. I'm glad. I'm glad. So, so thank you. And yeah, uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It is truly an honor. I'm honored to be a part of the Indivisible Movement. I'm honored to have met you and just um, be able to uh, connect with everyone. It's really great. Well, thanks to everybody for listening and a huge thanks to Lily Aguilar for moderating and producing. Everybody be well, be healthy, be safe. And thank you guys so much for joining us. And that is it for today's show. Our website is indivisiblepodcast.org and our email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative Inc. and is part of the Demcast Podcast Network. Learn more about Demcast at demcastusa.com. Special thanks to Lori Caldwell. And as always, my thanks to you guys for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.